Amen. Thank you, Nicole. What a great time of worship. As I say every once in a while around the Oasis, if that didn't bless you, your blesser is broken. Uh, but we are so glad to have that time of worship. It just centers us when we worship the Lord. And that's one of the main things we're going to talk about tonight. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in Revelation chapter 21. This is the last message in our prophecy series. We spent nine weeks, uh, the last nine weeks, looking at the rapture of the church and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and aspects of heaven. And tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is heaven. What kind of place is heaven? You know, heaven is not just a destination. Heaven is to be an inspiration and a motivation for us. Jesus said, and we saw this last week, I am making all things new. Now, you and I are living right now in a new normal. We just are. We're having to adjust to a new normal. I want to encourage with this. One day, we're going to also have to adjust to a new normal, but it's going to be a new normal that is going to be ushering in a glorious eternity with no more pain, no more death, no more crying, no more mourning. The former things are all going to be gone, and that's going to be the new normal, not just for a lifetime, not, not just temporarily. That's going to be the new normal forever and ever. Now tonight, I want to talk about the two main aspects of heaven. Not that there's not other things that we're going to be doing, but the Bible really doesn't give us all the specifics, all the things we want to know about heaven, but just enough, again, to be an inspiration and a motivation to us to realize that the life we're going through and even the season we're going through right here and now on this earth is only temporary, that God has a wonderful plan and purpose for all of eternity, and it is glorious. It's glorious. Let's first look at verses 22 through 27 of Revelation 21. We're seeing here at the end of the Bible, sort of the end of our exile, if you will. Because the Bible teaches us we are pilgrims that are just passing through. This earth and this temporal life is not our home. It's not what we're all about. We're going home one day. And heaven is our home, that prepared place that Jesus has for us. And the first thing I want us to see about heaven is that heaven is going to be a place of worship. And I want to talk a little bit about the aspects of this. Notice, just follow along with me. Now, I saw no temple, no house of worship in the city because the Lord God, the ruler of the universe, the all-powerful, the one who holds all in his hands, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God lights it up and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their grandeur into it. Its gates will never be closed during the day and there will be no night there. They will bring the grandeur and the wealth of the nations into it, but nothing ritually unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or practices falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me start there. Remember all that we are talking about here about heaven and the glory of eternity is only for those whose names stand written, have been written in the Lamb's book of life. I just want to make sure before we go on 
that you have had that moment in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's all that it takes, faith in Christ alone for your salvation, to get your name permanently engraved in the Lamb's book of life so that everything that the Bible says about glory and about eternity and about heaven will be yours one day because your name stands written. Remember, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. We do not make uh, our preparation for heaven once we die. That preparation and that reservation has to be made now on this side of eternity, and I hope that your name is written there. If it is, again, notice some things about worship. First of all, in verse 22, we are reminded in chapter 21, 22 that there is no house of worship, that all the buildings that you and I worship in now on this earth will be gone and that God himself, in a sense, will be the worship center because it's all going to be about the person of God. You see, heaven, in a sense, is going to be a place of pure worship because our focus is going to be totally on the person we worship. Worship, at its very essence, is adoring the person of God. And notice that there's nothing in heaven sort of that comes between us and the person. God is there, and there's nothing between him and his people, and we are simply there to worship him. One of the struggles, if you will, and challenges we have today, even in the church, even in our worship, is that we can be distracted from the very one we're worshiping. That we can get caught up in, in the buildings that we enter into to worship him. And, and we can get caught up in, in the music and, and the style of, of, of worship songs. And we can, get, we can even get enraptured by, you know, the worship teams and, and all of that. And, and not that there's anything wrong with all of this in essence, as long as it's not detracting or distracting us from the person of God himself. One of the highest compliments that I hear when people come to the Oasis, and I know Nicole feels this way as, as well, is that there are many people who come here and say, I, I feel God here and, and, and I can engage with God and God is not lost on me through our worship time. That's so vital because many times we attempt to worship God, but all, uh, all of the stuff that we put around to try to, you know, enhance worship is only taking away from engaging with the very person of God that we are worshiping. And so again, heaven is a place of pure worship. The Lord God and the Lamb are the very temple and center of all worship. It is God-focused. It is God-centered there is nothing between the people of God and the one that they are worshiping. Notice something else connected with worship, and that is illumination. Because I want to take what is going to happen one day perfectly in heaven, and I want to bring some kind of connection and application to us today. And in some way, the same thing is true today, that you and I, when we worship our God, 
when we center our thoughts and our minds upon the Lord and we spend time worshiping him and putting him in his rightful place, we're illuminated. We get clarity. And you notice that connection here. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Now, notice technically it doesn't say that the new heaven and the new earth doesn't have celestial bodies or doesn't have suns or moons. It simply says there's no need of their light. Why? Because the glory of God, the manifested presence of God, lights it up. Heaven is going to be a place of light. Light like we've never known it. Reflected light, unreflected light. The glory of God in all of his brilliance, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty is going to be there right in the middle of his people. And it's going to be a, a brightness that you and I can take in and embrace because we're going to be given glorified bodies with glorified eyes and, and, and a glorified being to be able to, to absorb the glory of God. But you and I can still experience his presence. We have here tonight through our worship. And, and when you and I spend time worshiping the Lord and again acknowledging him, giving him the preeminence in our life, there will be illumination. There will be light that God gives us. There will be clarity that God gives us. It's one of the results of our worship. And certainly you see that here, even in heaven. Notice verse 24, the nations will walk by its light. The nations? Yes, because during even the thousand-year reign of Christ, during the millennial kingdom, there, there will still be nations, if you will, on the earth. But once God does away with the old heaven and the old earth and, and makes a new heaven and a new earth and we come into this eternal state, the nations are now from the earth going to flow into this new existence, this new normal. And notice, they're going to walk, live, find their way by its light. You see, the light is going to illuminate our way. And even today, the Bible tells us to walk in the light of the Lord, that his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and that you and I, especially as we worship the Lord, will find more and more light because the Lord is light. He is perfect light. He is pure light. And when we enter his presence, we are given such illumination and clarity. Then notice, it says the kings of the earth, those leaders who had leadership positions on the earth, some of them are going to come to know the Lord, even during the millennial reign. And they're going to bring their grandeur into this new existence. Uh, it means, when it says to bring, it, it means to bring forward, to make something known publicly. Notice that, in a sense, it's saying that even the great people of the earth, those who have power and prestige and positions, once they have acknowledged the Lord, it's not about them anymore. 
It's not about shining the light. Now they come forward and they begin to surrender all and give all praise and all glory and all worship to the Lord, no matter who, because one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. No matter what position we have on earth, every human being will one day acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and that he is the king. He is the one who is over all. What I see here is that worship not only brings illumination, worship can embolden us and give us courage in our walk with the Lord. You see, the more you and I worship the Lord and understand who he is and acknowledge who he is, the more we'll be able to step forward and make him known publicly and not be ashamed, if you will, of being a Christian. Even Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Even the kings will bring forth their grandeur. It won't be about them anymore. And then verse 25 says, its gates will never be closed during the day. They'll never be shut. Always accessible. Always a way in to, to worship the Lord and to be there to worship him and adore his person. Notice this, there will be no night there. You see, our glorified bodies that God's going to create for us one day will not need to rest anymore. So in a sense, heaven will be a place of continuous activity. Won't get tired, won't have to sleep, won't have to take naps. And guess what part of the continuous activity is going to be? Worshiping the Lord, adoring his presence. Now again, that's not all that God has planned for us. But that's one of the main aspects that the book of Revelation and other books of the Bible talk about in relationship to heaven. It's a place of worship, of making sure that God is at the very center. And again, God is at the very center of our existence throughout eternity, which means that God should be at the very center of our existence down here on earth. It says, verse 26, they... Again, speaking, I think, of the nations and even the kings of the earth will bring the grandeur and the wealth of the nations into it. It, it. it means that they again acknowledge that everything that they have has come from him. Therefore, they're bringing it into the city and in a sense laying it at the feet of Jesus. You know, we talk about sometimes as Christians and sing about laying our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Well, here there's even a picture of they're laying all of their glory and all of their earthly honors and, and all of that. They're laying it there. Why? Because they understand at this point that the sole reason that we have all that we have, that we enjoyed all that we were able to enjoy, that we were able to accomplish all that we were able to accomplish is because of the grace of God in our life. And so it's all brought in to honor the Lord. By the way, the word grandeur means that which is valued and prized the most. In other words, everyone's bringing their best into the city. Everyone's bringing their best to the Lord. It reminds me of David when, when he was bartering with trying to purchase the threshing floor to be a place of eventual worship for, for Yahweh. And, and he says, look, I, I don't want you to give this to me. I, I don't want to offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I want to give the Lord my very best. Isn't that what is also connected with worship? that as you and I worship the Lord and make him the center of our lives and adore his person, 
not just his blessings, not just being thankful and grateful for what God has done for us and what he does for us, but simply because he exists and that he is who he is, not for all the wonderful things that he does. That's true worship. If God didn't do anything for us, he would still be worthy of worship. And when you and I get to that place of worship as we're going to in heaven one day, illumination happens. I think courage and, and boldness to be able to step up and step out happens in our life. We're more, we're more willing to put ourselves out there, if you will. We're, we're, we're not you know, thinking about what others are going to, to say or think. And we're also going to give God our very best. Because we understand as we worship him, he deserves the very best and that all that we have is only from his hand anyway. Then, verse 27 reminds us that, oh, by the way, one of the, the things that makes our worship in heaven so, so enhanced over the worship that you and I experience on earth is that it's going to be a perfect environment through all of eternity. No sin, nothing to detract or distract from the worship, the pure worship of God. And that those whose names stand written in the Lamb's book of life will be able to enjoy this one day. I hope that these few verses that we've looked at even now, talking about heaven one day being a place of the worship of God and the glory of it and the light of it and all of that is not just speaking to you about a destination, but it's inspiring your spirit. It's motivating your soul to keep looking past our lives here on earth and to know that one day we're all going home and that this is going to be our new normal, but it's a new normal that's going to last forever and ever. Well, heaven's not only a place of worship. Heaven is a place of service. Notice this in chapter 22, the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, water as clear as crystal, pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb, flowing down the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river is the tree of life, producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. You say, why do you primarily see this passage speaking about service? If you look at verse 3 at the very end, his servants will worship him, but worship him through serving him. In fact, many translations say serve rather than worship. It's a unique word in the Bible, in the New Testament, and yes, it's worship, but it's worship as servants of the Lord. You see, I, I see this as all about heaven being a place of service. We've got to get rid of the idea that heaven is this living room that we all go to when we get up there and we just sort of, you know, kick back and put on our slippers and sit back on the comfy couch and just sort of hang out and take it easy forever and ever and ever. No, heaven is a place of activity, continuous activity. And one of the things we're primarily going to do is always worship 
the Lord and acknowledge who he is and, and pour out our thanksgiving and our adoration and our blessing upon his person. But another thing that God has planned is that we're going to serve him throughout eternity. Each of us is going to have a role and a responsibility that, that he gives us throughout eternity. And one of the things I want us to see about serving the Lord in heaven is that you and I still, even in that perfect environment, in that eternal state, we still need to always depend and rely upon the Lord. We never get to a place, even in glory, where it's like we can say, okay, God, I, I got this. I, I can serve you without relying on you. No, no. God is still going to, throughout eternity, provide for his servants. And that's what we see in the first few verses. That's what the river of the water of life is all about. It, it's, it's, in a sense, nourishing and, and provision for the servants of God. It is the source of all life, even in eternity, because the Bible is teaching us that the source of all life is ultimately God. It always has to go back to God. God is our source of everything, you see. And even there, we're still going to have to go to God, if you will, and, and have him provide for us. We, we never can be without God, you see. I love this beautiful picture of this river. Again, last week we saw that there would be no more sea, no more great bodies of water because man cannot, you know, live in water. That's not how God designed us to live. So there won't be those big expanses of water like there is on earth today that you and I cannot exist on. But there will be plenty of water in heaven. And one of the things is this beautiful river that's going to cut right through this, this celestial city. I can't help but think about the conversation that Jesus had with the woman. And, and, and he said to her, look, the, the water that I want to give you, if you take that water, you'll never be thirsty again. And, and then later on in the Gospel of John, he says, and I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the water of life. And that's going to continue even for his servants throughout eternity. And notice, it's pouring out from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Make no mistake about it. Where's this coming from? Where's our source coming from? Where's our sustenance, our nourishment, our provision coming from? From God himself, from the person of God, just like it is today. Where should we go to God to be strengthened, to be provided for, to serve him? We serve out of the overflow of being with the person of God, and nothing will change in eternity. It flows down the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river is the tree of life. I believe more uh, correctly, there's going to be several trees that are named the tree of life. Each of them have a particular kind of fruit. So there'll be 12 trees with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Notice something very interesting, that even in eternity, we're going to count time. We're going to count time. It, it's not a timeless thing like one. No, no. There's going to be months, and there's going to be time counted even in eternity. And this also tells us something else, that even though we won't have to eat in order to live and exist in heaven, 
We can if we want to. And in a sense, we, we really are going to because it's, it's these fruits from these trees and, and it's these leaves in verse 2 that are for the healing of the nations. Now, this word is a very interesting word and it causes people lots of problems. Like, why do we need healing? Isn't this going to be a place where the former things don't exist and there's no more pain and no more disease or illness or death or anything? Yes, but this word isn't just about healing in, in a physical sense. It's in a sense about serving those servants of God in some way. It's about health giving or life giving, if you will. Being whole. And that's what this is picturing here. So again, it's a reminder. Yes, this is about serving, but it's also very much centered on the fact that even in heaven, even throughout eternity, we're going to have to look to God and have him be our source, even in serving him throughout eternity. We can never get to a place, even in eternity, where we don't need God for one second. Then, Again, there will be no longer any curse there. All the things that you and I fight with or are obstacles to our service here, the world, the flesh, the devil, that sort of either hold us back or hamper us in some way, all of that is going to be gone so that we can reach our full potential and full productivity as his servants in eternity. And once again, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city because even as it was with worship, so it will be with service. What's it to be all about, the Lord? If you and I in our service, even here, if, if we're not making it about the Lord, then we're, we're missing the main aspect of our service. We're, we're ultimately serving him. Everything we do is for him. That's why when we as Christians get to the place where we're always serving, but we're looking for for the applause and, and the appreciation of human beings, we're never going to get all that we either feel we deserve or all that can keep us going, but we do it for the Lord. We serve the Lord Christ, and everything we do, we do it as unto the Lord, not people. And the same thing is going to be true in heaven because God is going to be at the very center even of our service, and we're going to be reminded it's all about him. Even now, the Bible tells us that everything that we do, eating and drinking, as routine and maybe mundane as that is, should all be done to the glory of God. And then his devoted followers, the end of verse 3, his servants will worship him through serving him. It's one of the, one of the ways we worship is through service. And then I love this. And they will see his faith. You see, there again, whether we're talking about worship in eternity or whether we're talking about service in eternity, it's all about this intimate connection with God, that God is always there. I, I couldn't help but think of that as Nicole was sharing Psalm 139 tonight about there's nowhere we can go from God's presence even here, even though we might feel like he's far away or whatever, but he's not. Well, guess what? In heaven, we're, we're not going to have that because we're going to be able to literally visually see him at all times and even behold his face 
God's going to give us again the, the ability to be able to embrace him in all his glory and to look into his wonderful face. Can you see it one day, my friends? You and I, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, are going to be able to behold the face of Jesus. If that isn't inspiration and motivation for you, I, I don't know what is. You know, even Job, all the way back in the book of Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible, said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day, even though my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. That's what Job declared. That's the faith that he had, that even in the Old Testament, one day he knew he would see God. John records for us, he said, Beloved, all that we will be has not yet been revealed, but we know this, that when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. And all of this, notice, is in the context of serving him. He goes on to write, and his name, God's name, will be on our foreheads. Why? Because God is saying, I'm stamping you as mine forever and ever. I'm identifying myself with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I could find better things to identify with than me. I know who I am. I know how far, far short I fall. I know how fragile and, and all of that I am, and yet the God of the universe, the holy, perfect God of the universe, wants to identify with me and you. He wants to say, I'm putting my name, I'm, you and I, you belong here. <laughs> You belong to me. You belong here. You are home, my friend. You and I may not feel like we belong always here. We might not feel like we fit in anywhere down here, but one day we will be home. We will be in glory, and we will be with our God who loves us and who wants to identify with us and have intimate connection with us forever and ever and ever. And then he says, again, going back to this aspect of light, both in worship and in service, there won't be any more night. And there won't even be again a need of any kind of light of a lamp or the light of the sun because again, the Lord God is going to be our light. He is going to shine on us, you see. Not just on the city, not just on the new heavens and the new earth. It says the Lord God is going to be our light and shine on us as we serve him. And then I love this. And they will reign forever and ever. That takes our service up a whole other notch because we are reminded here that God always had in mind that the destiny of those he created as human beings would be to rule and reign and have dominion over his creation. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to rule over this. That was God's design. But when sin entered the world through Adam, mankind became incapable of ruling and reigning over the creation as God intended. So God sent Jesus Christ not only to save us, but one day to literally restore us back to the destiny that God always had designed for us. And that was to rule and reign with him forever and ever. My friends, that reminds us that our service on earth prepares us for greater service in eternity. Jesus even said that. 
He said to those that were faithful, not only well done, good and faithful servant, but he says these words in Matthew. He says, you have been faithful over a few things. I'm now going to make you ruler over many things. You see how that goes? A much greater service. And you know what part of that ruling and reigning is going to be? The Bible says that we're going to rule and reign over the angelic realm. And let me say something here, and I'm saying this to all of us tonight. And I hope this will encourage you. I know we're going through a tough time right now, and we're going to go through tough times in the future just as we have went through tough times in the past. But as God's people, always be encouraged and remember this. Whatever hard times God takes us through, he is preparing us to rule and reign forever and ever. And that's part of his purpose and why we are going through what we go through as the people of God here so that we can be good managers, so that we can be the princes and princesses of God who rule over his entire new universe one day. If you and I can't handle life on earth, even in the tough times, how are we going to manage the angelic realm and the things that God has planned for us? You see, God sees us as having so much more potential inside of us if we will just trust him. And God has that destiny planned for us, but he begins to prepare us for that glorious destiny right here and now as we serve him. Serving him now prepares us to rule and reign in eternity. I want to end, though, with this. I want to go back to the book of Isaiah tonight for just a moment. You know, we're in Isaiah on Sunday morning, and so I'm in Isaiah a lot lately. And, you know, these passages in Revelation talked a lot about light, whether it was worship and there was God, no need of other light. It was just God, and he lit up the city, and he lit up his servants. That was all about light. The worship of God was all about light. There was no need of the sun or moon anymore because the glory of God was going to light everything up. I couldn't help but think of this passage in Isaiah chapter 60. And I just want to, for a moment, encourage you with this. Reasons why you and I should let our light shine. Listen to these verses. Arise, literally, stand up as a witness and shine for your light arrives. The splendor of the Lord shines on you. For look, darkness covers the earth and deep darkness covers the nations, but the Lord shines on you. His splendor appears over you and nations come to your light, kings to your bright light. Now, this was specifically speaking to the people of Israel who one day would recognize Jesus as their Messiah and have a glorious future awaiting them and that they would be light one day. But this even more can apply to you and I as the church today who are already the light. And I want to give us these reasons to shine tonight. One, because Jesus Christ, our light, has come. And we are light through him. The glory of God, the splendor is with us and in us. We can shine through his life in us. We have that potential. Let your light shine. Don't hide your light. That's one reason why, because Jesus Christ came and said, I'm the light of the world, and then said to his followers through him, now you're the light of the world. We have the light. We need to arise and shine. Second, verse 2, because the world's in darkness. 
That's why we need to shine. Not just because we have the light, but because of all the darkness that we are living in. And yes, we are living in deep darkness, and the darkness is growing. But I'll say this, the darker the world, the more the light shines and shows up when we shine it. And then, verse 3, light attracts. Maybe not everyone is interested in coming to the light, but when you and I shine our light, those that really want the light or are searching for the light, just as the nations came to that light and one day will come to Jerusalem and to Israel to find their light, people today are looking for something. They're looking for hope. They're looking for for faith. They're looking for a foundation in their life. In God's people, we have the opportunity through worship and serving the Lord to shine our light that we have been given through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're living in darkness, but don't let the darkness stamp out and, and stomp out your light. Let your light shine so that it can show up even in the darkness that covers the earth because there will be those in your community, in your family, in your places of business, who are going to be looking for light. And God can draw them to him through us who shine our light. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you have reminded us, God, of the glorious future that awaits us. That even though now, God, we're living in a, a new normal and it can be tough to live in this new normal. God, you also promise us your presence would be with us and your power. And that God, even in the darkness that we find ourselves, we can be light for you. God, I pray that instead of heaven just being a place that's a destination one day for us whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that God, every day heaven would be an inspiration and a motivation for us to get up every day and to worship you and serve you, knowing, God, that there's so much yet to come and it's going to last forever and ever. And what we do down here through our worship and through our service is preparing us to worship you and to serve you throughout eternity. God, every day counts. Every moment counts. Because everything we do for you, God, and through you counts, God. It makes a difference. And may we, may we understand, God, through the light that you give us, the difference that each of us can make in our life. God, even by something as simple as maybe going out there in the world when we can go out and just smile and be kind and, and be loving, God, that can make such a difference in someone's day. So God, help us through your light to be light, to arise and shine, for our light has come. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. We hope you'll join us again Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, right back here at the Oasis in Gilbert. And don't forget again to go to our webpage, uh, www.theoasisaz.com and click on the blog that I'm writing every day, and hopefully that will be words of encouragement and refreshment for you as well. God bless.